Welcome right into the studio, Hidden Nation. You got Josh Carey right here, your hidden entrepreneur. You're tuned right into 710 WOR, the voice of New York. Hidden Nation, if you know anything about me, you know how much I'm going to enjoy this show. First of all, The Hidden Entrepreneur is all about the four decades I spent in hiding, right? Hiding my true self, my true ability in exchange for pleasing others, seeking the approval of others. You know where that gets us, nowhere fast. Today, it's all about showing up, being seen, and making the mark you know darn well you are capable of making. And you are going to want to tune in closely for this episode. My goodness, you see it. There it is. I'm joined right there by Jamal Wesley. He is an entrepreneur. He is a business owner. He is a fantastic human being who is developing a jewelry line for the queer community. All about inclusivity. Who cannot get around that? Welcome to the program, Jamal. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you are here. Now, before we started on air, I said that I'm really going to roll up my sleeves and enjoy this conversation because there's so much to your story that I can relate to. So let's talk about this. You are, as you say, you are queer. Why the choice of that word first? What does that really represent? So queer is all inclusive of that whole world of LGBTQIA+, right? So there's so many things that are define who we are or who we choose to say we are. So I use the word queer because it's all encompassing of all of those letters. Um, and so it's anything that is any, it's anything other than the heterosexual norms in the world. So when I use the word queer, um, that's what I mean. Anything other than heterosexual norms or all that LGBTQIA+. Hmm. Now, I'm going to get into the specifics on this, but a few years ago, you had a brain cancer scare. You underwent some surgery for that twice in your life, if I'm not mistaken. Thankfully, everything is uh, on the straight and narrow here. But before I hear your story, can you set up the picture of what life was like living in your home under the conditions you were living under. You know what I mean? So you knew who you were as a person. A lot of that had to be hidden until further notice. But what was the environment like with your parents and family growing up? So growing up, the environment was my my parents were factory workers, right? So you know, when I graduated college and, you know, I had this fabulous job making $85,000 a year and, a you know, a company car. And I decided that I was so limited by that. Right. And I was like, I, I'm tired of being on someone else's time, dime and being told what I'm worth. And the moment that I was like, you know, I'm going to start my own business. My mom was like, you're not giving up that good job, making $85,000 a year in a company car. Right. Because that was their mindset. But for me, I had to begin to discover who I wanted to be and who I needed to be and who my soul was yearning for me to be. And that's been throughout my life. I've always known that I was different. So being, knowing that I was gay, right? Growing up in my house, it wasn't safe to be me, Mm. right? And so, or I didn't feel that it was safe to be me. So there were a lot of things that I began to do. There were a lot of habits I began to create 
right? Like I began to create the habit of learning how to survive in the world without my parents. Like I got a job at 15. I learned how to drive at 15. Like it was the world of, and my mom will tell you to this day, she said, I had to do very little for you. Even when I went to college, it was like, give me your tax returns. I've already done my, my financial aid, right? Like I'm going to rely on you as little as possible because I felt like I had to learn how to survive in the world on my own. When did you know you were gay? I've always known that I was gay or different from the age of about two to three years old. Now, I didn't have a language for it. I knew that I was different, right? And I I knew I was more feminine and I knew there was something wrong with being feminine. Mm. And I tell the story, I have an older sister. She's three years older than I, and I was around three years old. My sister was a tomboy. And so my uh, mom bought her a yellow dress to wear to school and she cried. She didn't want to wear it. And so my... I said, mom, I'll wear it. And it was very innocent. It was more like, because I saw that my mom's feelings were hurt, not that I wanted to wear the dress, but my dad went berserk and he was like, boys don't wear dresses and blah, 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 blah. And in that moment at three years old, there was something wrong with me. And there was this, you know, like my feminine ways and things of that nature. And so that's when I knew that I was different, but giving language to it came a little bit later in life, 12, 13, when you begin, when I began to have those kinds of feelings and body began to change and et cetera. Hidden Nation, you can go to Amazon or wherever you get your books right now and get Jamal's book, Authentically Authentic, where a lot of this conversation is just going a broad stroke. There it is. Uh, exactly what is detailed in this best-selling book. Go look at Authentically Authentic right now. So Jamal, under that scenario, you knew at a very young age that you cannot be the person you feel you are. So for the next several years plus, while you're still sort of repressing all that, uh, what was that like? It was torture, right? And I can say that it was self-torture. Like I'm a person who can actually begin to take responsibility for my life and the way it is and it is not. So, you know, we began to talk about my coming out story. And so I came out when I was initially when I was 19 years old and this too is in the book. So I came out when I was 19 years old and then my mom went berserk. She called me every day, leaving me Bible verses on my dorm phone. And she, you know, she was telling my pastor that I was gay, the pastor I grew up with and her sister who was a minister. Like, so I went into this deep, dark depression that no one knew that I was in. At 19. At 19, yeah. And so I dropped down to one class just to say I was still in school and I worked for the dean's office. So that's the only way I could maintain my job. And so when I would go home, my mom went back into this world of denial. So she would ask questions like, are you on the phone with your girlfriend? And I'm like, "Uh, girl, no, I'm not on the phone with my girlfriend. Um, And so she went back into this world of denial. And so when I moved to Atlanta in November of 07, I was in a gay affirming church here in Atlanta. So the pastor of this church is gay. So he's delivering a message. And he said, in order to powerfully move into your future, you must complete your past. You must give up the the baggage of your past. And I said, I can no longer live under this umbrella of who my mom thinks I am. 
And I prepared my friends that were around me. And I said, hey, I'm going to write my mom this letter. And I'm just going to tell her, you either accept me and love me for who I am or not at all. And so this letter is actually in the book. Um, and people have just been moved to tears by this letter. But I read her this letter and my mom called me and I'll never forget it. She says, wow, I got your letter. And if I had known I was causing you all of this pain, I would have freed you long ago. And so the purpose of this book is to say, when we really begin to stand in who we authentically are, there is healing there. So that's why I wanted to, you know, tell my story is because I want young people, all people to heal, because there's a lot of things that we're walking around with, Josh, conversations that are not our own, conversations that are our parents, and we're confined by them. And we've never really stopped to evaluate those conversations to see if they were our own. And so inside of my own growth and development, I was able to begin to free my mom from so many conversations that she was living inside of that she never evaluated as if they were her own. So that's that story. Tell me about the word forgiveness and what mm -hmm. it really does. Give me an example. So, oh my gosh. So forgiveness in, in the sake of authenticity, it returns you to your authentic self. So, so many, so oftentimes we say that, you know, we forgive for ourselves, not for the other person. Right. And I never really knew what that meant until I met a, a, a frail, beautiful lady named Mary Ann. And I tell this story in, in the book as well. And what it does is it returns you to who you authentically are. The moment we are in the world of unforgiveness, it disrupts who we were meant to be in this world, Josh. It disrupts. So if I am giving and I'm loving and someone hurts me and I make up that I have to stop being that way, then I'm not living authentic to who I naturally am. So when we forgive, it returns us to who we authentically are, and it gives us the space to be that loving, caring person that we were naturally born to be. You, uh, you spoke a lot about the relationship and growing up with your mom, but your dad is and was in the picture. What was this relationship and conversations and acceptance or lack thereof like when you were coming out and growing up and trying to find your path? So there were not a lot of conversations with my dad because my parents got divorced when I was around 11 or 12. So my dad became really, really bad, addicted to drugs. So my parents got divorced and then my my parents were in and out of jail. I mean, my not my parents. My dad was in and out of jail for many, many years. So even when I had the first brain surgery, I remember he was out of jail and my, my grandmother, his mom, was coming to see me in the hospital and he was like no I'm not going to see him Why? and so there were all of these things so in the with my dad it was not more of I had to work through the world of being gay with my dad it was more of I had to work through forgiving him and so there was this world of self-righteousness before I began to write this book or not even then but I tell this story in my book too I I would have told you before I started doing my own personal growth and development work, I would have told you that I was okay with my dad, 
that I have forgiven him and that all was well, right? And there was a point when Whitney Houston died and I'll never forget it. She died and Kevin Costner was eulogizing her. And he talked about how beautiful she was and how she still didn't feel good enough. And in that moment, I thought of my dad and I was like, what would make my dad want to numb himself to life? And here I am being this self-righteous person. I'm not putting money on your books. I'm not sending you cigarettes. I'm not answering collect calls, whatever. You're too old for that. But then I was like, no, there's something there for my dad that has him want to numb himself to life. And I pinned my dad the only letter that I pinned him in jail ever. And I said, dad, I love you. I love you drugs and all. This letter is actually in the book too. And I, um, you know, I, I really just pour my heart out to him and I stopped making him wrong for his choices. And the judgment turned to compassion. And that was about 10 years ago. And for the last nine years, my dad has been drug and alcohol free. And I say that, you know, forgiveness did something for him because at the end of the letter, I said, hey, P.S. Dad, if you're hanging on to any part of that drug because of how you think I feel about you, just let that part go. And I'll never forget a year later after I wrote that letter, he was in jail and he was out of jail and I went to visit my grandmother who he was staying with. And I looked over to him and I said, dad, are you going to be good? As if I was his parent. And he said, I'm going to be good for you, son. And I just teared up and I drove off because I cried for the little boy inside of him. And so that's the world of forgiveness. That's, you know, that you begin to see in this book. Wow. That is extremely powerful. The brain surgery, you told me you had surgery um, a few years ago, and that was something, a mass that reappeared from when you were 14. What happened at 14? So very interesting. So I had, um, I had been having really, really bad headaches behind my left eye. And so they thought I just needed glasses. And so the doctor gave me some glasses, told me to come back in six months if it had not stopped. The headaches had not stopped. So I went back, he ordered a CAT scan. They found this mass that was wrapped around my left optic nerve. Um, it was, as it was growing, it was actually pushing my left eye out. You could see a little bulge in this left eye. And they were afraid that I was going to go blind because if it clamped, continued to pinch that left optic nerve, then I would have gone blind in my left eye. Um, and so they removed it. They said it was likely never to grow back. Um, and then in at the beginning of 2020, I went to my doctor and I'm like, my eyes are getting, they're getting fatigued very quickly. And she said, okay. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I just need glasses. Well, COVID hit shortly after I see my, my primary care. Um, and in August, I was to, you know, they started seeing patients that were not COVID again. So we picked up where we left off, ordered an MRI, um, and then they found the mass that was the signs of a tangerine at the base of my skull and my sinus cavity. So it was the same kind of mass that grew back. It's called fibrodysplasia. It's something like a cartilage material with bones crushed up in it, um, but it hardens. Um, and so they removed part of it. I had, they removed about 60% of it. 
I have to watch the other 40% for the rest of my life to ensure that it isn't growing. And so that's where we are. But at 14, that's that's still a young boy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we know where you were, what you have going on, what your uh, sexuality preferences are, who you can tell. So how, what are you really going through emotionally as a 14 year old boy with all that and the fear of, wow, what's going to happen here with this pretty significant surgery? Well, Josh, the interesting thing about that is until I had the second surgery, if you had asked me. I would have just said, oh, the doctor said I had to have surgery and I had surgery. There was no fear going on, right? Mm. Okay. And after the second surgery, what I really got was I had been taught to suppress my emotions. I had been taught not to feel mm. for so very long, right? Like I, you know, I grew up in a household where men were not emotional, like, you know, like all of this stuff. And so I just went through the motions of life. And so this is what happened. And so in that moment, I just did what needed to be done when I had, you know, a big piece of skull cut out of the side of my head and, you know, all of this stuff. And so when I had the second surgery, what I really got is I really needed therapy when I went through that at 14 years old, because what it did was like the anxiety was so strong. I was a grown 38-year-old man who could not get out of bed. I could not sleep with the lights off. I had to drift off to sleep because my brain thought I was dying. The moment they said that I had cancer, my brain was like, we're dead. And so it was like, if I had taken a sleeping pill, my body would literally fight it. I could feel my body like, no, we're not going to sleep. And so at that time, when I was 14 years old, I, I needed therapy to deal with and process those emotions, but I was used to suppressing my self-expression. So it was another day in the neighborhood of not being expressed. And when I say the world of suppressing self-expression, it's also suppressing authenticity. Yeah, I'm sure you agree. I fully feel that when we suppress and push down our thoughts, our desires, our emotion, that creates, uh, as they say, disease in the body. And now you're all kinds of feeling ailments. Yeah. Whether it's depression, anxiety, or other physical things going on, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, I credit my two young, adoring children for helping me slap myself out of the person that I was right for 40 plus years. I was quote unquote, okay, just harming myself and being this way to myself, numbing and all of that. But then in the eyes of my two children, I said, okay, wait a minute. I I can't do this to them. I don't want to be this person while they're watching. So that was enough. What was that similar moment for you that made it all enough to know more of this? So I started personal growth and development classes back in December of 2011. And and when I started those classes, I really began to see that life wasn't necessarily how I saw it, right? Like no one had ever questioned me and how I saw life. 
And then when once I started personal growth and development classes, I really got, oh, life isn't necessarily how you see it. Are you willing to discover new views of what happened or life or living? And I really got in the first class that I took, I'll never forget it. The greatest thing or the greatest gift that I got was the leader of the course said, are you willing to be responsible for your life? Absent guilt, blame, and shame. Because often we collapse the world of responsibility with guilt, blame, and shame, right? And so he said, if you're willing, look to see if you're willing to be responsible for your life. And I was like, wow, if I'm willing just for a second to be responsible for my life, the way it is and the way it is not, or how it's been up until this moment, then I'm able to alter it. In those moments or in those places, I'm not willing to be responsible. And Josh is responsible for the way my life looks. My mom is responsible for the way my life looks. Then the person over there has to alter before my life alters. But if I'm willing to be responsible, then I can alter my own life. And that's when life began to alter for me on a major scale. Hidden Nation, you're tuned into Josh Carey, your hidden entrepreneur, riveting, fascinating conversation with Jamal Wesley, the best-selling author of the book, Authentically Authentic, available right now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Go check that out. Jamal, the jewelry line. What do we yes. need to know here? How and when and why did this take shape? Wow. So, Josh, I tell people all the time, opportunities pass our ears all the time. It's up to us to hear them as opportunities. And so, and, you know, I think it was, what's her name? Shonda Rhimes or something. She wrote the, the book, yes. The Power of Yes. Yeah. Right. And so in 2019, I've worked in insurance for the last 17 years. Um, and so I handle claims for high dollar, high value homes here in the Atlanta area. And my client called me. He said, Jamal, I know you don't normally handle jewelry claims, but can you handle this claim? And I was like, yeah, Josh, you know, I'll figure it out. Right. So and it was almost like they were trying to talk me out of taking the claim. They were like, you don't have to, we don't, no pressure. And so I was like, I'll do it. So I meet this jeweler over in Atlanta. He's a wholesale jeweler. I had this beautiful diamond ring made for myself for Christmas of 2019 because I wanted it to be my wedding band. But I was like, you know what? I want my diamonds now. And see, this is the other the other lesson in this is stop waiting to live, like live now, right? Like I was waiting for something to happen to experience having that ring rather than having it now. And when I do get married, I can create something else, right? So in that moment, so I had the ring created for myself in Christmas of 2019. I wanted to make some tweaks to that design. So at the end of July of 2020, I knew that I was tired of insurance. It had become mundane and boring. Although I loved helping people, I needed something new. So I called my largest contracts and I said, hey, guys, September 1st, I'm done. And they were like, whoa. I was like, yep, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not doing this anymore because I knew it was no longer worth my time and my energy. So September 8th is when I found the mass and they said, hey, you have to have brain surgery immediately. Had brain surgery October 1st, flew my best friend in to take care of me. The ring fit her perfectly. 
So she wanted to buy it. So I sold it to her. So I went back to see my jeweler friend in December of 2020 to make this ring actually. And so um, he says, have you ever thought about starting your own jewelry company? And I was like, no. He says, I think you should consider you've sold your first piece. And I said, okay. He said, look at your profit margin you would have made. I was like, okay, great. So then my brain immediately took me back to the moment when I thought I was dying of cancer. And all I could think about were all the unfinished things or things I didn't accomplish. And I said, there's not a building with my name on it. There's not a street with my name on it. I want to be a part of people's love stories. And so out of that 10 minute conversation, the jewelry company was started. I went home, got a fresh notebook, and I just started to pin like all of my thoughts. And then in January, I started the company. I started telling friends what I was doing. They started making custom orders. And then I was like, well, I want to make jewelry for the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, it's a market that is not represented or underrepresented in the jewelry market. So that's why I want to make jewelry for. So we have our jewelry line coming out in the next month or so. It's called a Harry, A-H-E-R-I. It means I love you in Luo, which is an African language. And so the tagline is, it's simple, I love you. And so I chose to create little expressions of love that will outlive me and outlive the owners and live inside of their legacy forever. Wow. Jamal, what is the message you want to impart on your ideal listener? First, who is that listener that you are most looking to impact? Who are they? Where are they right now? What's going on in their, in their head? So the, the listener, anybody can read this book, right? And if you're looking for who you authentically are or want to discover who you authentically are, or just want to discover more about you. Each day is an opportunity to discover oneself. Life happens and we begin to cover up who we authentically are based on our traumas and the things that have happened to us in life. And so if you're listening to this and you want to discover you, read this book. And, you know, if you are, if you are a parent of a LGBTQIA plus person, or you think you may be a parent of an LGBTQIA plus person, then read this book. The book opens with a love letter from my friend to her queer son, right? And I urged her to go to him because she knew that he was struggling with this. But oftentimes parents say, oh, well, he'll come to me when he's ready. But the things that that kid was making up inside of his head, the things that he was suffering through, until, you know, like until she freed him by going to him and saying, hey, I love you. So like this book really begins to have anyone begin to discover themselves, period. Whether you're LGBTQIA or not, if you're looking to discover who you are and move beyond those boundaries, this is a book for you. And as it relates to our my jewelry company, Ahiri, you know, we have something for our allies, we have something for, you know, many sections of the LGBTQIA plus community. So support, support, support. And just the real thing here for me is love. Mm. They are expressions of love. The book is an expression of love. The jewelry are expressions of love. So if you are an expression of love, 
we're for you. You know what I love about you, Jamal? So much, first of all, but specifically in this context, you're not only uh, a leader, a voice, and an advocate for the queer community, you're a leader, a voice, and an advocate for the human race community. People should take note. I'm honored to be speaking with you. I wish we could do even more together, speak to you more, but you are beautiful, sir, inside and out, and I appreciate you. Thank you, Josh. It has been a pleasure, and I am grateful beyond words for the opportunity. Likewise. Likewise to you, Hidden Nation. There you go. Authentically authentic. What else can you really want? I know so many of us, whether in the queer community or not, there is value here because so often we repress one thing or another that we know darn well we need to release. Now is the time. Now is your calling. Please get in touch with Jamal. Check out Authentically Authentic. Jamal, before we leave, where can they pick up the conversation with you? You can pick up the conversation. You can go through our website, myauthenticbook.com. You can... Um, Follow us on Instagram on at uh, my my authentic book. So you can follow us in both of those places. Um, if you go to our website, you can reach out to me directly. Absolutely perfect. Thank you so much, Jamal. Thank you, Hidden Nation. Show up, be seen, be visible. Say and do what you know you are meant to say and do. We're going to say and do a lot more of these episodes again before too long. Thank you for tuning in and spending your time. Until we meet again, take care. Be well. Bye-bye.